0: Sparkling Water. My name is Ewoki Maddox, and I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water. Um, bad start to the episode. I did something. I was trying to be funny with my voice there. It didn't go well. Bad start. Whatever. I'm recording this episode in a new room. For some reason, the sink in the kitchen adjacent to this room started making a loud dripping noise inside of itself. Somewhere in the drain, there's a dripping noise that's boosted by the shape of the tubes and the trumpet-like shape of the sink itself. And somehow there's this loud dripping noise coming out of the inside of the sink of the drain now, and it's never happened before, and it started right when I was trying to set up this recording equipment, so there you go, there you fucking go, um, god, the mic is like way too high up, we're just gonna go with it, so I thought I'd start by talking about something simple, that's not that abstract, just, so at the restaurant last week I was in this situation where um there's this table of six people and they ask me do, do you have any specials and it's weird it's I don't know I don't understand what people's obsession with specials is I don't know that we have this in Sweden where or anywhere where you a person comes over to take your order and you ask about specials it's like what do you like I don't ex, I don't know. I don't know how to make those people happy, the people that ask for specials. But it's such a scourge, and it's so common that we actually, I have the conversation with coworkers all the time, like, what do you tell them when they ask about specials? Because we don't, I mean, specials is like what they call it at shitty restaurants, where they have like a blackboard on the wall, and they write like soup special on the wall. And we don't do that, cause, cause we're trying to be a little bit fancier than that, but, but uh, we do have things where there's a thing that's only available one day a week and then then you can talk about those but those are things we do on the slow days and I don't work on the slow days cuz cuz I'm number 1 all right I immediately started hating myself when i said that when i called myself number 1 just now a deep deep sense of self-resentment and regret bubbled out of my bubbled out of the drain in the bottom of the sink in my heart a dripping noise of regret. Um, anyway, so, so what I say, we print our menu every day, so everything is on the menu. So that's what I say. And then some of my coworker servers will be like, we print this menu every day, so everything is special. That's what they say. And it's like, that's not a funny joke to me, so I don't say that, but they seem to think that's a funny joke. Um, so this six top last week asks me what, um, do you have any specials? And I say, we print this menu every day. So everything available is on this menu. And then my attempt at an answer, what I usually go for is that what I'm, what I'm getting from them maybe is that they want to know what's new, like what's newer on the menu. So that's what I say. I say, like, I mention the things that are most recently added on the menu. And then I just sort of like, so what I say is, you know, we print this menu every day. So, so everything is on this menu, but, but, um, you know, the cochinita pibil is new as of this week and, and the lion's mane barbacoa is a vegan dish that's new as of last week. And so that's what I say to the guy. And then he looks at me and he goes, I had the lion's mane barbacoa here a month ago. And it's like I just lost cabin pressure because I think that actually triggers a lot of problematic things in me. I'm really, really sensitive to repeating myself. Um, yeah, I was actually thinking about talking about this in a totally different context, but I, um, I really tense up when I feel like I'm saying something and I'm realizing that someone might have heard it before and stuff. And it's because there is something, I don't know, I, cause I'm aware as a listener, like when I, when I'm watching a stand up comedian and I, watch like a five minute clip of a stand-up comedian. And then I watch a different five minute clip where they're in a different city. And I hear them tell the same joke. I lose all respect for them. I think I understand that that's the trade. Like the craft is to tell the same joke every night for six months and then perfect the joke and then record a special and have be telling the joke perfectly. Like that is the craft, but I don't accept that. I just want it to be good and new. And hearing it again is an act of peeking behind the curtain. It is an act of breaking the fourth wall and it is obliterative. It obliterates the entire experience for me. And I'm somehow I'm super sensitive to that and um it really plays in on the podcast like like I say these horrible things about people on the podcast and it really hurts their feelings. And then I find out that I really hurt their feelings. But I do not give a shit about that compared to when I figure out that I've actually repeated myself or like told some story two times. <laughs> it's like a much, much worse feeling in my heart. I feel way worse realizing that. But so that's one thing when he says, I had the lion's mane a month ago and I just lied and said that it's new as of last week. But it's a fib, you know? I don't know. For some reason, it made me so upset. And then he didn't let go. It wasn't over there. I'm taking everyone's orders and we're talking about other dishes and stuff. And he's on his phone. And then he he shows me his phone and he shows me a picture of himself eating the dish. And he's like, I was wrong. I didn't have it a month ago. I had it two months ago. And I try to... I get so nervous and I'm like stumbling over myself and I'm like trying to talk about how, oh yeah, you know, with COVID, there's like this truncated, collapsed sense of time where I thought it was from last week, but it's actually been on there for two months, it seems. And, and he's like, were you here two months ago? And I was like, I was here two months ago. And it's, I felt humiliated when he called me out on lying about how long the dish had been on the menu. I don't know. I was lying. God, it made me upset. It ruined my whole night. It turned into one of those things which is quite common as a as a server where like you have a section, you have six tables, people sit down at all six tables, you're serving all of them, and then you have a bad experience with one of them and now you hate walking through your section, you hate everything about even being there. And as soon as the people that you've had the bad experience with leave, everything's good again. You just want them to leave so you can start over, so you can feel like that's gone now. Clean slate. But as long as they sit there, and people sit for hours, you know, as long as they're there, everything sucks. And I felt that. So everything about that was shit. Oh, God, I wish I could... I wish I could unpack it a little bit better, why that fucked me up so bad. It was something about... I don't know. I think I handled it poorly. I think I should have just said out loud what I had, I should have been like, Oh, I don't know. I was trying to uh, make excuses instead of just admitting that I was clearly just playing fast and loose with the truth. Uh, anyway, so there's a related thing which is um it's not related at all. uh Last week, I was a um well, two weeks ago, I was asked to chair an AA meeting and be the person who there's this meeting on Tuesdays, there's this meeting where the meeting starts out with someone just speaking, telling their their story for 30 minutes. And then the second half is people reacting to the story. But but it's an opportunity to give someone a more long form opportunity to tell like their whole sort of story arc, their whole sort of life story of, um, you know, experience, strength and hope, you know, self-obliteration, telling the story of how you fucking destroyed yourself and then how you started to rebuild yourself um so i was asked to speak and then last week i spoke and this is something that i've always i've i've done it a couple of times i did it a couple of times in seattle i've never done it down here before and it's an i like the opportunity to do it because it's a nice way to feel a little bit more plugged into the community because you get to feel like people know you a little bit because it's one thing to sit there many times a week in a room with the same people and to share for two, three minutes about something. But I think, and I, I, it's possible that everyone feels like this, but I feel like I never get to say sort of like just a, the basic building blocks of I don't know, I never tell anyone that I'm a Swedish person. And there is something about that where, I mean, maybe everyone feels like this. Maybe everyone feels like, unless I get to talk for a really long time, I feel like people don't know me. Maybe everyone feels like that. But I think maybe I feel like that a little bit more because I sit in this room and people just think I'm, everyone there grew up there. And maybe, and I think every it's fair to assume, they all just assume that I also grew up there. And that just means that I don't know. There's something in that where I just feel a little bit alienated and it feels a little bit awkward to mention it. Like someone reads two paragraphs out of a book and then you're supposed to talk about your sobriety and talk about how, um, what that made you think of and where you are in your recovery and stuff. And in that framework, in that context, when you short, when you share a a short thing, I always feel really awkward to bring up anything about like, Like, it feels so fucking awkward to be like, well, uh, by the way, I'm from Sweden. I don't know why I'm so sensitive about that. I I do remember this one time. (laughs) This is a story I must have told before. But this one time, me and Ivan were driving north. We were in Seattle and we were driving north. We I think we both just had a day off. And he was like, you want to just go north a little bit and look at some bridges and go to some islands and stuff? Just get out of the city a little bit. And so we did that, <clears throat> and then driving north on the highway in Seattle, there is this thing in in the state of Washington that isn't so much a thing in other states, which is, it, people refer to it as bikini baristas. And it's a thing where you get coffee. I've told the story before. You get coffee, it's these little huts. Now, huts where they, it says espresso on the hut, and you stop and you get coffee. That's all over America. But there's a specific thing in Washington where in Washington they... Um, they're naked in there, or they wear like a see-through tiny bikini. Um, so me and Ivan are driving north, and we drive past one of those, and I'm like, "Damn, we should have." I I actually haven't had coffee, and it's early in the morning, and I'd love a coffee. And also, it's like we're two dudes, and we're doing a man trip, and maybe we should just like talk to some naked lady for a second and have her have her make us a cup of coffee. But we driven past that one, and it's lame. To be like a really horny guy who like turns around and goes back to it. But then we keep driving and then there's another one. So we're both like, do it, do it, do it, do it, stop, 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 stop. pull over, pull over, stop at the one. So we stop at one of those. And then this is a sister story to how me and Ivan went to a strip club once, which is uh, probably one of my favorite episodes from the first season of the podcast. It's the episode where the episode title is something about sexual trauma. But <laughs> it's, anyway, we stop and we're talking to this lady and it's weird because she's more naked than I thought. I thought she was going to be topless, but she's like in this hut and we're sitting far down because we're in a car and she's standing way above us. So it's like her vagina is on our eye level and she's just wearing a see-through bikini bottom. So her, so we can't see her face, but her vagina is just right there. And it's just like such an awkward, weird situation at 11 a.m. ordering a cup of, a cup of coffee. And, and just all you can see is just like this, this fleshy, weird, uh, vagina in a bright neon, yellow, green, see-through material bikini. So we're talking to this lady and, and the whole thing is so awkward and it makes me nervous. So she's, asking us what we're doing and where we're going and stuff. And I just like, and I just go, I'm from Sweden. And I think what it is, and I've mentioned this before, how that had an, how that moment was important to me and that phrase in that moment changed something because afterwards Ivan was like, why do you do that? Why do you say it like that? Like, why do you say it like that? And I think... In my first and second and third year in America, I just had this thing where oftentimes I would just panic and I would have no idea what was going on. And people would just assume that I knew what was going on because everyone else did. And I just felt this need in a state of panic to just be like, ah, I'm from Sweden. And I think that was the last time I did that because he called me out on it. And I was like, I felt humiliated that he called me out on it because I was clearly just, like, not being cool. Like, I didn't do... I wasn't doing good small talk. Like, he was trying to do good small talk, and I I didn't. I don't know. You know? Like, small talk with a stripper. What are you doing after this? <laughs> I got some cocaine here. You want to hang out later? Ugh. How do you do small talk with a stripper? But so um why was I saying this? Yeah, anyway. So I think after that moment with Ivan, I stopped. I became really sensitive to mentioning that I was from Sweden. I became sensitive to mentioning that when it wasn't, when someone didn't ask directly. So I didn't, so I, so I stopped saying it. So I just never said it. So instead I just felt like this slightly alienated person who just grits his teeth and is trying to figure out what's going on. Even though like, Dude, Americans are so big on place names. Like, everyone talking is always just littered with weird place names. And you have to just pretend like you know where these places are. And I never know where these places are. And you're supposed to, like, know just not where it is, but also, like, what it's associated with. Cause some of these places are associated with everyone from there. It's shitty. So it's like, I was in, I was in insert place name and you know how insert place name is. And you know, insert place name was being really insert place name that day. And everyone's just like, yeah, just already laughing at the story. And I'm like, yeah, okay, let's just, let's just try to pay attention here and see if through contextual clues, we can figure out what insert place name is. Is it that everyone there is a tweaker? Is it that? You know, cuz now I've figured out a couple ones, you know. North San Juan, everyone there is on meth. Chico, everyone there is um really young and they have guns and they do crime and it's very ghetto. Roseville, bitches from Roseville, they do their nails and they think they're really fancy, but really they're living in the fucking Central Valley and it's a fucking piece of shit corner of the world, but they think they're real fancy and they hang out at the mall and they spend a lot of money. And if you get a Roseville girl as your girlfriend, you got to spend a lot of money on her, you know, insert place name. So after that moment with Ivan, I stopped saying that I was from Sweden. And then I keep going to these AA meetings down here and I never tell anyone I'm from Sweden, basically. And then I finally last week get a moment to, I'm asked to chair and I, and I sit and I talk for 30 minutes and it was, I was looking forward to it because it was feeling like an opportunity for me to feel a little bit more plugged into the community because they've seen me there a lot. And I do talk about certain things from my life, but I I feel like there's big things that they, I feel like people don't know me at all. So I sit down and I'm like, yeah. And for the first time, it's extremely appropriate to start. Like, where were you a child? What was it like when you were a child? How did you move around? Where did you go? What did you do? And first of all, it was a lot like just recording a podcast episode um, because it's just monologuing. And it was going very well, and people thought I was hilarious. And I was – them thinking I was hilarious made me very self-conscious. I wasn't very good at going with it. But so I tell him I'm from Sweden and I tell him I lived 10 years in China. And then I actually had this realization where it's not actually a non sequitur to, to start talking about China and, and recovery. Because what I've realized is that, you know, Dr. Luke would always ask me and Sebastian, like, why did you guys live in China for so long? And I, I think the answer is a little bit complicated. But I think a big part of the answer for me is like, I was like a fucked up person who was really unhappy. And I was escaping into drugs and alcohol, but I also grew up in this like very conservative space where like my mom was extremely scared of drugs and had no idea what drugs were. And she found out one time when I was 14, she found out that I'd smoked weed and I came home from school or from something in the evening and she was just bawling. And it was because I'd smoked weed once and like she was just bawling her eyes out and it was. She was so scared. So, so, so I wanted to escape into drugs and alcohol, but I was so, I was ashamed of that. I was ashamed of wanting to do that and becoming a person like that. So I was like, I'll just go and do it in China where no one knows me. So, like, a reason I got stuck in China for like 10 years, I think a reason has to do with my recovery and the journey and everything. And I think a reason is, is shame. And I think, you know, you can be in China and there's Chinese people everywhere, but they don't know me judgment. And this is probably a slightly racist thing to say, but judgment from those strangers that look different from me felt less bad because they can judge me and they can see that I'm just a fucked up person. And, and I can not care. I can push that away and not care that they judge me because they're different from me and they don't know me anyway. Whereas judgment from Swedish people is devastating. Yeah, so I could, so that's a realization I almost had. I don't think I've ever said what I just said on the pod before. But um, that's a realization I think I had leading up to being, to chairing there. I don't know. Did I talk about this last week? Who knows? Am I repeating myself? If I am, you know, then this is going to be the last episode of the podcast. But so, <clears throat> so I tell the story and it's like my, my, my story, it has a lot of like really, really honestly, just really extreme parts. And it was refreshing because on the podcast, I talk obliquely about drugs and alcohol, but I don't like to tell the stories because it's like people in my family, yeah, because of shame. Swedish people listen to the podcast and, and if they find out the things I did, then I will feel ashamed of myself. So the same reason I had to do those things in China, the same reason I don't want to talk about them in a space where Swedes can hear me, so I don't really talk about all the bad things I did, you know? But I mentioned some of them in that meeting and it was like an episode of the podcast that Swedish people couldn't listen to where I could openly talk about my recovery and my problems and addiction issues and I could actually talk about it and, and um yeah, it felt good. It felt like those people got to know me and then I felt seen and known and it was nice. It was nice I talked about, like, for example, now I'm going to say a thing, like, one thing I mentioned there that I've never mentioned here is, like, this one time, this one time I blacked out for three months. There's a three-month period that I have no memories of. When I came out of it, I was living in a new apartment. And that's an act of self-destruction. That's something that probably should have killed me, you know? But it didn't. Yeah. And saying it here, it's not something I'm proud of. Saying it here into my closet, (laughs) saying it here in my bedroom, into a microphone set up in my closet, alone at the house in my closet, A simulation of shame. I am, I'm in my closet simulating emotions, and the emotions I'm simulating are shame and regret. Reflecting us on stories of self destruction. Yeah. But so, I said a lot of things in funny ways, and people thought it was really funny, and, and people, yeah. People really... Americans don't travel so much, but this sort of... Um, I don't know. I was going to say that it's a little bit unique how Americans have money but don't travel, and then it's a little bit unique how they still hold travel in high regard. Um, but I don't know. I think maybe everyone holds travel in high regard. And... So when I say that I was born in Sweden and then lived 10 years in China and then moved to America six years ago, um, then when I share about that for 30 minutes and, and my story, I mean, honestly, if I can just repeat myself a little bit here, what the story was about really how I framed it and how I'm a really big takeaway from how I look at my what my sobriety is and what my pre-sobriety period was is that it I was not honest with myself because I was always blaming something else. Like I was 19 and I was like, I hate my life. It must be because I'm living in Sweden. So I moved to China and then I lived four years in Shanghai. And then at the end of it, I hated my life. And I was like, it must be because of this girl I'm dating. This is like beautiful, smart, funny girl who treats me super nice And her dad is rich, and everything is awesome, and we travel, and she's awesome. I must be hating my life because of her. So I move back to Sweden, and and I break up with her. And and then I'm in Sweden, and I hate everything. So I'm like, oh, it must be because I'm living in Sweden. So I move back to Beijing. It's just like me over and over being miserable and blaming something superficial, but real, or not superficial, but the wrong thing. Whereas in reality, what I should have been blaming is like, I think one thing that's at least making this worse is the drugs and alcohol you know, that's the story I was telling. It, and I, and I expanded upon that for about 30 minutes, different times in my life where I've like blamed something like a woman or a friend or where I'm living or my job or whatever, and said that I am profoundly miserable in this moment. And it must be because of this thing. And then I point to something external, but really I just wake up depressed every morning. Cause that's who that's the brain I was given. And then I used to make that worse with drugs and alcohol and, and it's fine. And, and it, And if I just don't put drugs and alcohol in my system, then things get pretty all right. Like these days, things are pretty all right. So that's the story I told for 30 minutes. And then at the end of it, I felt seen and known. And then everyone kept sharing and everyone kept just bringing up the craziness of how much I, because it's in AA, it's called pulling a geographic. I love how in AA, we just have names for these things. Like, being drunk every day and feeling like the problem is, could be solved by just moving really far away. That's called pulling a geographic. And it's like viewed as this thing where like, yeah, you're delusional. You're just going to move to a new place and get drunk every day. And that's, so I pulled a lot of geographics in my life. And I told them stories of pulling many geographics, you know? So, when, then afterwards, everyone's sharing and everyone really focused in on that part. And everyone was like, Oh, I moved here from Santa Cruz. Like your geographics were a lot longer. You know, I went to Michigan once and cause it's small town America. And in small town America, most of the people grew up around there and they'd pull a geographic and drive for three hours, you know, and I that made me a little bit unhappy because I don't think that's the point. I don't think it matters how far it is. Like sitting on an airplane for eight hours or sitting in your car for three hours. Like spiritually, there's no difference there. All it is, you pack everything up and you travel for a day and then you unpack. And now you're in a new place and you're delusional and you think everything is going to be different, but you're still there. And everyone focused a whole fucking lot on how far I'd traveled. And it's like, that made me a little bit self-conscious, but at least, I don't know. When people don't focus on that, I'm unhappy that they don't know that I'm Swedish. And when they do focus on that, I'm unhappy that they focus on it too much. So you can't win, you know? It's been raining for a week. I wonder if you can hear the rain. It's been just pouring for a week, which is good because we need the the groundwater, the aqua forest. They need to fill up because the drought's been crazy these last couple of years. It's been good that it's been a really rainy spring. I don't have any stats to back that up, but it feels like it's been raining a fuck ton. But so, I shared for 30 minutes, and then for the second half of the meeting, the remaining 30 minutes, people reacted to my story and talked about it, and, and that felt really nice. And we just had exchanges, different heart-to-hearts, basically. And then after the meeting, I have this high expectation that I I want people to bring me into some sort of new fold, and I want to start these new friendships. But I do this act of self-sabotage, which is that as soon as the meeting is over, I just walk out immediately and go to my car and just, just fumble with the keys, because I'm trying to get out of there so quickly. And it's like, that's a well-established, shitty way of approaching your sobriety and your recovery and the AA program, because... After the meeting, you're supposed to just stand there and just decompress a little bit and just make friends. Just make friends in the comments section, you know? Uh, but I can never do that. So I just rush out. Like I, I shared and then I wanted really, really strong. I wanted everyone to I wanted like compliments. I want reinforcement. I wanted like people to just shower me with praise. But I left immediately. So it's like, how's that for a contradiction? Um, and then the whole afternoon after that, I was just sitting watching my phone being like, I want someone to call me and just tell me that I did an amazing job sharing. This is so honest and embarrassing what I'm saying, but, but that's what the podcast is for. It's honest and embarrassing. So here's the other contradiction. No one in that room has my number, (laughs) except like my sponsor, my sponsor has my number. No one else has my number. And there's like 40 people in there and they listen to me talk and I just want all 40 of them to call me and give me praise and, and they don't have my phone number. So what, like, what do I want? Like, like, how, how do I expect this from the world? It's make, none of it makes any sense. But here's the thing. So I give up and I'm all pissed off that no one's calling me, praising me. So I give up and I just like wander around town and I go to all these thrift shops and I'm just sort of like having the day off and just chilling. And, and then I'm sitting in the parking lot of the new Goodwill on Brunswick and my phone rings and I pick up and it's my sponsor and, and he does it. He does the thing I want. He calls me and he's like, so people, I always invite people to speak. People always afterwards say that it was great. But this time they like really, really said that it was like exceptionally good. That this was like one of the greatest chairs they'd ever heard. And it's like exactly what this like really childish part of my brain wanted to hear. (laughs) So fucking funny and stupid. (laughs) oh so self-congratulatory to bring that up on the podcast also but here we are um and he's like he's like he even suggested that i go on the circuit because like there's like motivational speakers they do aa does these like people are good motivational speakers or good, have a good story or whatever. They will like invite them to go on this circuit where you travel around and you just go on the speaking, you just go on a speaking tour of telling your story, you know, your story of experience, strength, and hope. And it was like, it it was a good amount of like a mixture of honesty and, and, uh, honesty and facts and insight with a lot of insanity sprinkled in like the insanity that, Speaks to people. Um, yeah. I don't know. So I got exactly what I wanted there. He, I wanted someone to just call me and praise me and say that it was like exceptional. And then I got that call. And then afterwards I didn't even feel good about it. So there you go. So that's how it goes. Let's drink a water. So today we're doing weird citrus. So first one, the brand is called Mad Tasty, pure sparkling water, 20 milligram hemp extract, zero sugar. The flavor is Yuzu Citrus. And you know how we feel about Yuzu. We love Yuzu. Yeah. Oh shit, I just fucking sideways opened it. I slipped. The can is very cool looking with this sort of like um, ink pen art. This is a very good graphic profile. Ooh, that's a very gentle, hempy, earthy, oily smell. Yep. That's incredible. That tastes a little bit like pear. That tastes nothing like yuzu. Smells like, that tastes like artificial pear ice cream. Pigilin. Which is a ice pop in Sweden. A bright green ice pop. Um, yeah. I don't know. But, uh, <clears throat> I think it's a slow process and I think it's okay that it's a slow process. I shared my story and the 40 people that I sit in a room with multiple times a week. Now they finally like know, um, just like some basic facts about me and why maybe I don't know what the hell they're talking about when they say they're from El Dorado Hills. And then it, that makes it easier for me to connect with them going forward. I think, cause they can more level with me and, um, it's okay that that didn't all happen immediately after the meeting. But so, in a, in a couple of meetings after that, this guy was like, oh yeah, so on Tuesday we're going on this um meditation day retreat at Ananda. Ananda is a pff, religious group, maybe, it's the most neutral way of saying it. It's a small religious group around here. It's a cult. Call it whatever you want to call it. Um. The whole time I was there, I was confusing it with another group that's also here called Fellowship of Friends. Um, and all of these groups, is like people try to dig and, and talk about how they have a dark past or whatever. But I don't know. I could go into it. I don't think they do. I don't think these two do, but, um, so, um, I go to this thing and, and the whole time I'm there with like six, seven other people from the meetings and, and we're talking and and now they all just like know more about me. So now we can just have these conversations where they can like ask questions of me that make more sense. And it's been a year of them asking me questions that didn't make sense to me. Yeah. I think I'm entering the com- I think I upgraded my <sighs> level of how much I'm plugged into the community is what I mean to say. But so, um, another funny thing is like, so I, I knew that on Tuesday I was gonna go to this thing, this meditation day trip at a cult with, which, with like lunch and they have a big facility and you go look at these, they planted 17,000 tulips and you go look at everything. And so, sometimes, excuse me, a little burp. Sometimes when I have that, I'm, when I know that I'm, I'm going to do a thing like that, I make sure to be like, okay, so let's record the podcast the day after that. Cause I'm sure something weird will happen that day that I can then talk about on the podcast. And every single time I deliberately set myself up like that, that I want something weird to happen that I can talk about on the podcast, every time nothing happens. And it was a little bit like that. Like, I don't think that there was anything that happened there that I should really, that really needs to be said. The things I want to talk about the most are always things I didn't know that I was going to want to talk about. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we were there for a bunch of hours, and then for the last hour, there was an actual meditation class. And this guy, for one hour, talks us through this like extremely classical, old timey, ancient Asian way of meditating. And it was actually extremely helpful it was like just about posture stuff sitting up straight the angle of the knees is important the angle of the hip joint is important where you keep your hands facing up on your thighs is important and then just you focus on your breathing you do a couple of specific breathing exercises and then like i'm going to i'm giving you the pointers now because i don't think it's necessary to just pre- be secretive about them and and be like, yeah, he said good things and then not repeat them because they can be condensed into 20 seconds. Like I can give you all the pointers in 20 seconds. And then sure, it's more helpful to actually do it with him and, and all of that for an hour. But the pointers were, for example, it's good to meditate. People are used to meditating with eyes closed because it's like restful. But the thing that we do oftentimes when we do eyes closed is that we our eyes are actually behind our eyelids are pointed down. And that makes us kind of tired. And one thing that you have to teach yourself to do while you're meditating, because you don't want to be tired. You want to be alert. So you should actually behind closed eyelids, you should actually be looking gently upward, just gently, gently upward. And that will, it's just hardwired in our brain. That's a state for the brain to be way more alert. Whereas downward gazing is just a, st- a very restful, towards it's a, you're putting yourself on a path towards sleep and so you do all that and then there's this interesting thing too where like in this like 4000 year old meditation technique There's this tiny thing where you keep your palms up. You keep your hands on your thighs with your palms facing upward. And as you inhale, you just gently, gently curve your index finger. And as you exhale, you extend your index index finger. And you just let your finger move with your breathing. And it's so interesting because it's like, that is so good for fidgetiness. Because it's really hard to not fidget. People are really fidgety. Everyone's really fidgety it's hard to focus if you're not fidgeting. And it's like a way to just co-opt fidgeting. And it's like, you're now focusing on your hand and you're actually moving your hand in this, in this deliberate way. And that will um crowd out any want, any attempt to fidget. And it's just fascinating to think that even 4,000 years ago, people would fidget with their hands, you know? And I'm sure that's true. Like I'm sure 20,000 years ago when early humans were sitting around a fire that they had just figured out how to make and they're like talking in a very basic language, I'm sure even then, most of those people sitting around that fire just had a stick in their hand that they're just sort of like breaking up and they're just fidgeting with a stick basically, which is exactly the same as like a fidget spinner to just have a stick or a piece of bark or just like a blade of grass that you're sort of pulling at. And you're basically fidgeting. And it's it's just interesting to think that fidgeting is probably as old as humanity itself. And that these extremely insightful Asians, 4,000 years ago even, I didn't score it. That mad taste use of citrus is an 8 out of 10 because that's weirdly delicious and light. Even the ancient Asians knew... That we fidget and that we struggle with fidgeting and that it will help if we just move a finger with our breathing in meditation. You know, it's nice. It's nice. Um, yeah. There's another thing that I'm going to talk about now that's like a bigger thing that's like tougher. And it's the following. I reached out to my ex-wife. I sent her an email. I haven't talked to her for three years on the phone. There's been a couple of emails. Most recently, a year and a half ago, she emailed me and was like, you want to, she asked if you just want to, do you just want to talk on the phone? Maybe one day, just check in a little bit, a little bit of time has passed since we got a divorce. You want to just talk? And I said, yeah, but only if we do it on the podcast. And she said, no, thank you. And so I reached out to her now and was like, "Do you want to just talk? It doesn't have to be on the podcast. Um I'm sorry we couldn't make it work last time you emailed me." And she just emailed me back one word. She just said, "Why?" And then I I am somewhere now in my recovery, and the recovery is largely about humility and realizing how much I'm the problem. And how much I made a mistake and how much I can take responsibility for stuff and, and how it's not about blaming other people and all this stuff. So I, I bring that in and I say that to her and I'm like, yeah, it'd be nice to just exchange a little bit of information as adults. And I just want to say that like, I really take responsibility for a lot of things. I was really blind to my own flaws. I really like blamed you for a lot of things. And like, I just said a couple of things like that. That's like a peace offering that I mean, it's true. But so she emailed me back and was like, that means a lot that you say that. And do you want to talk on the phone? And then we just called and talked for two hours. And it's interesting. It's interesting. It's been three years since we talked. It was a five-year marriage, the end of which was, I like to referred i mean I have a lot of times referred to it as very abusive. I think it was very abusive. I think it was very negative. I think we were both very very very, very bad places in our lives and uh yeah, and now I'm older, and it used to be that we would we had two couples therapists, we had all this stuff, we really tried not to fight, but we would fight like maniacs. We fought so much and, um, yeah, I, um, I am older now and I don't have to fight. I'm older and I'm, there's been maturing and she would say things that the old me, she would say things like, I've been working on forgiving and the old me would be like, but when you say forgiving, that's like super pointed. Cause it's like, it implies that I did something wrong and that you're forgiving me. And it's like, that's not what you should be thinking about. You should be thinking about what you did wrong. That's what the old me wants to say. Or the even half old me. Because that's, I mean, yeah, I have a bigger philosophy around this now of how I actually think that's just a better, healthier, like we just feel better focusing on ourselves and what we could do. It's more like you, you have no sense of control when you focus on the flaws of others because you can't control them. So it's a really, um, in that sense, it's a really uncomfortable feeling of not having control. And then also you can't grow a lot there, but you can grow a lot by just taking back control by just, Calming down and reminding yourself that you're not perfect and that you did a lot of things wrong yourself, and that in the future we need to work on ourselves and we need to do take a, take responsibility for what we did and all that stuff. And I, I have gotten far in that journey where, like, I can. She said a lot of things that were about. Things I did wrong. She accused me of she she accused me of things, and she, there was a lot of stuff, and and I could just listen to it, and I could hear it, and I could. Like when she starts talking about forgiveness, I can, I can remind myself what that is. And to her, to her, that is where she's at in the process. She's in the part of the process which is an early part of the process where you. Think about the things that the other person did wrong and you try to forgive them a little bit. And, and I can encourage her in that process and I can say that that's good that she got that far and, and I don't have to make it difficult and I don't have to blame, make it blamey and I don't have to make it negative and, and she cried a lot and I didn't have to cry and I could, I could just talk to her and we could exchange information and, and I could try to say nice things and, and it could, I don't know what it was, bro. I don't know what it was. It was tough. It's interesting because on a conscious, deliberate level, I've gotten somewhere and I cannot react. I cannot be super reactive. And I managed to keep the whole thing very, very peaceful and very far from fighting. Even when she got kind of loud and excited and and upset and she's sobbing or she's saying different things. and And it takes two to tango, you know, when it's fighting. And I have enough peace in my heart now that i can just sit with it and and when she starts fighting i can be like yeah you're right you know i did do those things and i'm and i'm wrong and i want to apologize and and you can't keep fighting when a person you know when a person is being a true peacemaker but it's interesting because in that in my on the conscious level I have all these things now where I'm like deliberately better, but but on a subconscious level, there's so much stuff left. So like one thing that was so interesting to me is like my whole life I've had this thing where when when something really stresses me out, like when something is really tough, I go into this. I very easily actually go into the state of shock. I've I've referenced this before, where or I've I I actually uh, the episode of uh, that I just referenced where I, I, me and Ivan went to a strip club and I talk about it in season one of the podcast in an episode where the episode title is something about sexual trauma. In that episode, I, um, go in depth on that part of it, where I go into a state of shock. I went into a state of shock there after going to a strip club and yesterday when I was talking to my wife. And the thing is that's so clear about it is that my body goes super cold and now I'm older, so now I know that it's happening. So before calling her, we were like, we were emailing, we were like, let's just talk in a, in a minute. So I know that I'm about to call her. So my whole body goes into a state of shock and I go completely cold. So I immediately just go so go go over to my AC and I just turn it up. And I'm just like, okay, let's set the AC to 78. So I set the AC to 78 degrees and I go over to the kettle and I just turn the kettle on and I get my biggest cup and I boil like a liter, a quart of boiling water and I just pour myself a quart of boiling water in a massive teacup and I just dunk a cup of a tea bag in there three times because I'm not even making tea really. I'm just drinking hot water. So I'm chugging hot water in a hot room and I'm completely cold and I get her in the covers and I'm like, my body enters this t- it's state of shock and it's so uncomfortable because you can feel your body shutting down and reacting in this really extreme way that you're not in control over. And it's really uncomfortable, but, but I, it helps to just be aware of what is happening and to just counteract it and to just lay under a blanket and drink hot water and turn the AC up to 78. But so before talking to her, I was like ice cold. And for the first hour, I was just like ice cold. My hands go all stiff and ice cold. Like I can barely even move my hands. It's like so weird. So my subconscious is still back there, you know. And when I know I'm going to talk to her, my conscious subconscious goes all the way back there to this like very painful place of disassociation and shock. But on on a conscious level, I have some tools, and I can I can sit with things, and I don't have to react, and I don't have to blow up, and I don't have to like match her energy when when she is. finding it hard. But it was tough to go to that place of shock. And then also it's tough to, uh, I don't know. I don't feel good today. I don't feel good today. It's like, this is mean, but the thing I've said about this, about that relationship often is like, I do miss her. And there's, when I get lonely, I think back on that relationship and it was such a relationship of like incredible intimacy And having so many shared things and having all the tendrils in your brain. So many tendrils in your brain connecting. Like the brain is like a thousand tentacles. And to just meet someone that has a thousand matching tentacles. So your thousand tentacles can line up with their thousand. And it's like, sure, not all thousand matched up because that's just unrealistic. But 998 of my thousand brain tentacles were matched in her brain and 998 of my thousand brain tentacles lined up with hers and connected and fused with hers. And it's a sense of total sharing and intimacy and mutual understanding that's that I haven't really, maybe I haven't really experienced with anyone else. And it's lonely as fuck to go away from that. And I've talked about that on the podcast and I've talked about how what I have to remind myself of though is that I'm kind of an unhappy person, and she's kind of like a very unhappy person, and as much as there was incredible understanding and intimacy, we did just make each other more unhappy. Or at least she made me more unhappy. And that's so sad. Like to meet your soulmate and then to realize that your soulmate Makes you want to like end it all. You know? That's a toughie. That's a tough one. But yeah, I mean, in my relationship with her, she, we, we, we started this relationship and then my dad, I grew up with my dad and my dad was always like this sad, depressed, bedridden guy. And then I th- saw a lot of that in her and that was a big part of, how we understood each other and then I woke up this morning to a missed call from my dad and and I was already feeling bad having talked to her because it's just tough engaging with the darkness, feeling so intimately connected to someone and looking into their soul and re- realizing that most of what's in their soul is that they don't feel very good is very difficult it's a very difficult act yeah anyway it made me feel something it made me feel something and I don't know what it is oh god feels bad talking about this We talked for two hours and two minutes yesterday, me and the ex-wife. Oh, it's difficult. And then I went to Ice's house. so nice to see my buddy Ice. And his wife. Love her. Love her. And I told them about it. Oh, And then I could talk about how Ice's wife was being a fucking battle axe yesterday, but I love her too much. I can't talk about that. She was just fighting with us. It's hard, man. Peaceful relations and romantic relationships is hard. Few people have it figured out. Let's drink another water. Rebel spelled R E B B L it's an acronym for a backronym for roots, extracts, berries, botanicals and love this flavor we're doing weird citrus so this flavor is mandarin orange very cool mandarin orange no sugar ooh that smells exactly like a mandarin mm Oh, wow. That's the thing. In Sweden, we eat what we call mandarins and they're small. And then here people eat tangerines or something that's called cuties. And I don't know what they are, but they're small citrus fruits. And it took me a long time to realize that this, that, and all of those things are not the same thing. But the thing that we eat in Sweden is actually tastes slightly different. And it's this. This is what it tastes like. Mandarins taste different from tangerines. That's so fucking funny because you look at the ingredients and the ingredient list is sparkling water, organic tangerine juice extract. So this is tangerine. But the next one is organic mandarin juice concentrate. Oh yeah, not extract. Concentrate. Yeah, that's a 7 out of 10 because mandarins are delicious, but this is a little bit concentrate-y and uh, artificial sweetener. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, I'm in a new I'm in a new place. I'm in a new place. I am um, ever since I broke up with the ex wife, I, I, I would I got on the dating apps and I would always be talking to some girl on there and I would be focused on that girl. And when it broke down with that girl, I would quickly get on the dating apps and I would like send out a bunch of messages and always very quickly someone would message me back and and it would work and I would talk and I'd feel connected and I'd feel good and there was always somewhere to direct my energy. Even like I wouldn't, I haven't always had a girlfriend, you know, I was seeing Julie for a long time, but there was always someone to direct my energy at. Like I always had a girlfriend or someone I was talking to or something. And if I didn't have one, I would get on the dating apps and quickly find someone to focus my energy on. And as soon as it fell apart, I would focus on someone new. And the new thing I'm trying now is to not be on the dating apps. And I don't, I'm not really committing to like not being on the dating apps forever or whatever, but I do want to try what happens if I'm not on them. Because that might be a form of sobriety and I might realize something. But it's tough because it's different than drugs and alcohol because human affection is something we can use as a stimulant, but it's also something we need. So it's different, you know? It's like food. We can use food as a drug, but also the solution if you're using food as a drug is not to not eat because you have to eat. So this is an example of me... you know, working on a pragmatic in-between solution of having a healthy relationship with something that I have to have a relationship with. And I'm in a new place. I'm not focusing on anyone right now. And for some reason, in that mind state, it felt interesting to reach out to my ex-wife and just see where she's at. A big part of it was this thing that I talked about on the podcast maybe two episodes ago where I was thinking about it and I just didn't know if I wanted to find out that she's doing good or bad. Like, because, I mean, that sounds horrible when I say it out loud. It sounds like I'm being a horrible person, but it's true. It's like you have an ex and you have a very mixed feelings towards your ex. And and to find out that your ex that you kind of hate is doing bad, maybe that makes you feel good and... But I've gotten to a place of maybe not hating or maybe, yeah, I don't hate her. I don't hate her at all. I feel like I'm holding back a little bit because I'm worried that she's listening to this. <laughs> but the truth is probably that I'm feeling sorry for her. God, God, it feels hard to say this. I feel sympathy. I feel empathy and sympathy in whatever those words are. I feel bad that she feels bad. And before, I think the truth is, before talking to her, what I, what I actually wanted was I was worried that she wasn't feeling good. It's the truth. I'd seen her in some different situations. I'd seen her be very high functioning, and I'd seen her be very low functioning. And then I was looking for her on the internet and I realized she has no internet presence. And I, a part of me was just worried, like, what if she is in a state of really low functioning right now? And that, that's not the case. She's chilling and she's got a job and she's doing her thing and it's all good. And she's where she was, you know? I don't know. That's not a very good way to say it, what I just said, but. All I'm saying is she's not institutionalized, and she's not on suicide watch. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. So, okay, I'm going to say something else now that's like extremely dirty and private and very difficult to say out loud. Partly because it's self-congratulatory and it's like, it's a it, there there is an, there's a way to see this as bragging, what I'm going to say now, but it really is just something that I'm like, I have to talk through with myself. It's like, she said this thing where she felt like, she said that she felt like maybe I was still her soulmate and she hadn't found anyone else before or after that she was equally connected with. And then she said that she had the sense that I didn't feel the same way because it's easier for me to connect with people. And, and then I get defensive and I try to be like, no, no, you're wrong. Like, I, I also feel like you're a level of connection that's completely special and all that stuff. But, but there is also a truth to it, which is like, for some reason, I'm like really spiritually slutty or like I I, I get in these relationships where it gets really, really, really raw and really honest and really connected kind of quick. And then I do something and I do something wrong and I, I lose the feeling and I unplug and I run away. And then I just find the same thing with someone else. And then the, there's especially one relationship that I've always avoided talking about on the podcast because, because of this, because it's a relationship that happened a year and a half ago. And it's a relationship where this person in her mid thirties was telling me how she'd never managed to find a relationship, like the relationship she found with me in this connectedness sense. Like she's felt so much more connected to me than she'd found felt with anyone else. And I felt like a sociopath because I felt like I was not that I wasn't connected with her. I just felt like I just had this down. Like I just have it down how to like overshare and oversharing leads to them oversharing, and then when you overshare, you both overshare, you become completely vulnerable, and then they start crying, and then you're chilling, and then you hug, and then you watch TV, and now you're completely connected. And they like dry their eyes, and you watch TV, and you binge eight seasons of The Walking Dead, and every couple of episodes they start crying about something about their dad. And that's it, you know? Complete connectedness. And somehow I've learned to do that part. How to bear my soul without getting good at the other part, which is how do you keep it going? How do you maintain a relationship? Ugh. God. I don't know. I have to be at work in 39 minutes. But many, yeah. Many people have told me that they feel completely connected to me. And then I can say, yeah, I also feel completely connected to you. And then they say, I've never felt that before. And then that's awkward for me because it's like, well, I feel that all the time. And that's a weird situation to be in. And it sounds like bragging, but I think if, I think actually I'm actually describing my problem. I think there's a problem there. I think approaching spirituality as a, as if it's like a set of power tools that you just have to read the instruction manual for and now you know how to use them it subtracts something, it subtracts something from what it is. And there's something about how I always retain power. Like I'm always in control of it. Like I never feel like I'm losing myself in it. I never feel like, I'm always, I always got my hand on the knob and I can turn it up and down, you know? Like, how spiritually connected should we be? And I turn it up to a nine, because I want it. And then when I get bored, I like turn it down to a three. And then it's like, but I don't feel connected to you anymore. And I'm like, yeah, I know, right? Or I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. And it's like, I turn it down to a three on purpose. And now I'm like pretending like I don't know what she talk, she's talking about. Oh, this is making me feel like a sociopath. But I'm not a sociopath. I'm not a sociopath. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I have this feeling like I should, instead of going on dating apps, I should just go to bars. But it's like, wow, that's hard when you're sober. Also, that's not where you find good people. I should just go to a strip club and start dating strippers. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. Let's do another water. So, this brand is called Viv, V-I-V-E. Vive, maybe. Vive Organic, Immunity Sparkling Drink. Fresh Pressed Orange Turmeric. Turmeric orange is definitely part of the weird citrus circuits. Ah. Immunity blend with vitamins C, D, K, and zinc. Hmm. Oh my god, I have to say something funny that I just thought of. So... (laughs) <laughs> Fuck. I re- I'm repeating myself because I already told Asher this. Ooh. Okay. Let's repeat myself. So I uh, was at work this, the, a couple of days ago and, and, um, this lady walks in and she's kind of, she has this look where she looks kind of muscular and a little bit too tanned and her uh, tattoos are a little bit aggressive and her hair is like a little bit over treated. Like she's dyed it and now she's dyed it dark, but it's been dyed and curled kind of too many times and slightly too much makeup. And just looking at her, she just looks like a right winger. Okay. She looks like a lady that might be driving a truck or at least she's only attracted to men who drive trucks. And she probably has a gun or at least she borrows her boyfriend's gun to pose in pictures and her Facebook photo is like her with two guns, like guns in her hands, you know, a right winger. So she's got that look (laughs) and she walks in and she sits down and then I go over, I grab a menu and I walk over to her and I'm like, going to give her a menu. and, And as I walk over, her phone is out and her phone is on the table. And it's open to a website. And the website is like this, these tables with like numbers and digits and I mean numbers and like, Just different stuff, it's looking a little bit like science-y, and then she's scrolling through it, and the headline is... (laughs) The headline is, Ivermectin Dosage. I just thought that was so fucking funny, because it's so funny when people are predictable. Like, when people are... someone. They just look like such a fucking QAnon right-winger. And then they just turn out to be such a fucking QAnon (laughs) right-winger. Cracks me up so mad. Oh, God. What's better than that, bro? What's better than predictable Americans? I love it. I love predictable Americans. Ivermectin dosage. Ivermectin is that horse paste. The people who don't believe in the vaccine and think that COVID is a hoax. Those people... Here's what I'd say about it. I think those people, a lot of those people died. Like, I've there are videos on the internet where you see people who are on ventilators and they're anti-vaxxers and they talk about libertarian politics and they're anti-vaxxers and they're like, yeah, I I just believe in the freedom to choose and then they haven't gotten vaccinated and, and they're literally on a ventilator dying trying to talk and And then they're like, but I do kind of regret not getting vaccinated. And then the video ends and it just says like, yeah, this person died four days after recording this video. Like those people that hate the vaccine and that think that everything is a scam, they do actually believe that COVID is – a lot of them do actually believe that COVID is real. And they actually have – a lot of them have heard of a buddy they have who has a sister who was super athletic and she was in her 40s and she got COVID and died. Like those people still exist with those stories. So those people haven't completely adopted an attitude of it's all made up and there is no virus. As much as they say that a little bit here and there, they do actually walk around with fear in their heart, which is where the ivermectin comes in, where they feel like they need God to show them Some alternative to this, to Satan's vaccine, you know, to this thing that the Jew is trying to get them to do. The Jews are trying to get them to vaccinate themselves. Obama sent the immigrants to vaccinate your kids, like Bo Burnham says in that song about the internet. Yeah. And that's a little story that I already told Asher. And in a way, this whole podcast is just like audience of one. Audience of one is what this podcast is, you know? I just need one person to listen, and I need that one person to reach out to me, and I just need one person, you know? I just want to feel connected with one person. It's so weird how I just talked about how it's really easy for me to feel connected with people, but I spent so much, like, I literally recorded 80 episodes in my bedroom, desperately trying to feel connected to people. So if I'm so good at it, why is it infused with so much sick desperation? That's my question. I woke up this morning and I was like, I have to record a podcast today. And I have all these things that I want to talk about, but I also don't believe in the podcast. I think it's a scam. I think no one has ever listened. And then I got these messages from Katie where she was like, There's no episode 65? It's like, yep. Someone is listening, though. Someone is listening all their way back, and they realize that I've taken down episode 65 and maybe 67 or something, because... I'm not going to say why. Because Julie wanted me to. Julie wanted me to take them down because she felt, felt I was being rude and talking about her and saying mean things about her and... Her feelings were hurt and she wanted me to take it down and I respect her and I care about her, so I took them down. Because I care about her more than the podcast. I guess is the it's the truth there. Yep. Anyway. I guess uh I guess we should call it. I guess we should call it. Yeah, Audience of one. Yeah, Asher will send me like an eight-minute voice message responding to stuff in the pod, and then I'll send him 35 minutes of voice messages responding to what he said. And it's just like more podcasts, you know? And it's just like really audience of one. And that stuff, that one-on-one stuff makes me feel so connected to people. Because... It's not us talking about the weather. It's me sitting here in my bait, in my fucking closet talking about how fucking depressed I am. And, and honestly, it's the only thing I want to talk about. I just want to figure out why I'm so fucking depressed all the time. It's the only topic that feels honest. Anyway, did I even score these waters? The third one here, orange turmeric from Viv Organic. Mm. This just, first of all, it's not very bubbly. Really, really lazy bubbles. So, if you're going to call it an immunity sparkling drink, maybe make it sparkle a little bit more. Real fruit settles give me a slow spin. That's also a toughie. Like, you have a carbonated drink and you want me to shake it? Yeah. I mean, I appreciate them trying to do something different, but... Also, turmeric... Ugh... Turmeric and orange, which are the two flavors that are very clearly represented here. And they both taste quite fresh. Like it tastes like real fresh orange and fresh turmeric. And both of them are, they don't go that good together. They don't. But I appreciate the attempt. So I'm giving it a seven out of 10. All right, guys, I love you. And thank you for listening all the way to the end. And, um... And that's the episode. Thank you.